Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. It's your host, Monique Farouk. And before we get started today, I just wanted to encourage you guys to have a listen of the Sisters in Laws podcast, which I was featured on as a guest this past Wednesday with Erica M. McAfee, who is the founder and head of Sisters in Laws, a digital media platform where Black women replace silence with storytelling around pregnancy and infant loss and infertility. Sisters in Loss is dedicated to replacing silence with storytelling around pregnancy, infant loss, and infertility in the Black community. The stigma and shame that comes with sharing loss stories prevents Black women from achieving the healing they need, the healing they need to thrive in their new normal. Sisters in Loss holds space for present loss and infertility stories in a resourceful, culturally acceptable way to assure Black women they are not alone on this journey. Have a listen at the Sisters in Loss podcast, which I was featured on this past Wednesday with Erica M. McAfee. Thanks so much for tuning into Infertility and Me podcast. I am your host, Monique Farouk, and today I have with me Erica McAfee from the Sisters in Loss uh, organization, as well as the podcast and sistersinloss.com. And she is the founder of Sisters in Loss digital media platform, where Black women replace silence with storytelling around pregnancy and infant loss and infertility. Erica is also a grief specialist and doula to families impacted by loss and fertility and infertility. Thank you so much, Erica, for coming on to the podcast today to speak with us about your personal journey, as well as all the work that you're doing in the community. Thank you so much for having me. And can you tell us about your personal journey with infertility and loss and um, what that was like for, for you and your husband? Absolutely. So my losses started back in 2012, um, right after we got married, pregnant, and I went through that entire pregnancy, no major issues, got up to about 39 weeks, and probably five days, I was almost 40 weeks pregnant. I started to have complications, I would say, or showing signs of preeclampsia um, around my 37, 38th week, so the doctors were really closely monitoring me. And I was at a point where they were just like, all right, we're, you are fully there. We're going to go ahead and induce you because your um, urine protein in your urine is going up and you definitely, your blood pressure is starting to spike. Mm. So they induced me overnight. Um, I went through labor for, I don't even remember how many hours I pushed for a few hours. And then the doctors were made a decision to just do a C-section just because of how tired I was and just where, how I was not really, I was progressing centimeters wise. Obviously I was 10 centimeters, but baby was just not progressing through my pelvis. So we went and um, went into the ER or the OR and went through the um, C-section procedure, normal C-section, no major issues. There was a bunch of people in there because it was a teaching hospital, obviously. And you know, the late the doctor asked me, was just like, you know, do you feel anything? And I was like, no, I just feel a lot of pressure. So she was just like, all right, we feel a lot of, a lot more pressure. 
and she pulled my baby out and held him up above the screen to show him to me, but he wasn't crying. And at that time, back in 2012, there was a show on TLC called A Baby Story, where Mm -hmm. it showed um, the birth of a lot of babies. So I watched a lot of it because I was the first in my my group of friends to be pregnant. And it was just my way of just understanding what this birthing process is aside of everything else that's on the internet at the time. So I knew that something was wrong because my baby didn't cry. And obviously for television sake on baby store, they only showed the positive sides of birth, you know, babies crying, moms holding, moms crying. They never really showed the other side of birth. I knew something was wrong. I looked over to my husband and I was just like, something's not right. The baby's not crying. And he was trying to reassure me that everything was right. But no, my gut instinct was like, something is wrong. And my son was born alive, um, but did not take his first breath outside of utero or outside of me. Um, Doctors um, worked on him for about 41 minutes before they pronounced him dead. His lungs would not oxygenate. Mm. meaning that they were almost overdeveloped um, is what the autopsy report said. And he just could not take in oxygen um, the way he should have. Um, the doctors worked as much as they could to to get his lungs to work, but they just were not working. Ditched me up, rolled me into the recovery room, and then the doctor broke, came in and actually broke to me the news that my baby had passed away. I was devastated. There's no words to really describe that feeling of going through an entire pregnancy and getting up into the birthing process to meet this baby that you've been carrying for 10 months and to not be able to go home with that baby. So we did all the typical things with him. Um, We weighed him. We took pictures with him. I held him for a little bit. And then I was just kind of in my own out-of-body experience where I didn't really know what to do because I was expecting to, you know, take this baby home mm-hmm. um, in a car seat and drive away, but we we weren't going to get that opportunity. So, I mean, we had to make plans for a funeral. We had to figure out, you know, what we were going to bury him in. And it, it was it was the most traumatic time of my life at that point. And we... We're just at a place where we were questioning God a lot because we're just like, why, why would you put us through something so traumatic, something that's so, you know, near and dear, we know how precious life is to see a life gone so fast. Um, I question a lot. I question my body a lot. Like, you know, like, Mm -hmm. why did my body fail me? Why did, why didn't my body work in order to carry this child full term and you know why did I produce a birth the child that did not have that had some abnormalities obviously that that's the reason why he passed away um so a lot of those questions went through my head during that period of time and I just was just going back and forth really trying to understand um why even though I may not have gotten my answer I just kept Mm -hmm. asking God why um, so we went to therapy. We got to a place where we were ready to try again. And um, we tried again. And I was able to get pregnant again. This pregnancy was a little different. You know, they monitored to me more closely. Um, and I got up to about 18 weeks in this pregnancy. And um, I ended up um, having going into preterm labor. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, my my cervix actually opened early. Um, they call it an incompetent cervix. Basically, in your second trimester, the weight of the baby starts to weigh on your cervix, mm-hmm. and it can cause your cervix to open prematurely, which then puts you into preterm labor. Which then, at that point in time, depending on how far you are along in your second trimester, the doctors can or cannot save the baby. So in my case, since my pregnancy, I was only 18 weeks along, I was unable, doctors weren't able to save my my baby girl. Mm. So I had to um, birth her, and I actually birthed her naturally. Wow. And Still went through the labor and delivery process, the labor, the actual getting the epidural. I did all of that because I still was, I was fully in labor with her. Obviously, I didn't have to get to 10 centimeters because she was so small, but I did actually birth her. She lived maybe a minute or so, and then she passed away right after she was birthed. So we spent some time with her and just really tried to understand what happened in the last, the first really two years of our marriage, you know, going through one loss and then going through the subsequent loss and really tried to find healing and not necessarily understand why, because I think why is a question we always ask ourselves, but to be okay in the why. And whenever those moments of grief and despair come back up in us, that we understand the bigger reason, the bigger purpose behind that. And I think that is ultimately what came from all of this for me in general. So once we got to a place where we were ready to try again, we got pregnant again. And this pregnancy, since I had a incompetent cervix in this pregnancy um, with my son, who is still here with me, elected to do a cerclage around 19 weeks as my cervix starting to shorten. And then I went throughout the rest of that pregnancy up until 32 weeks, still seeing a lot of doctors, a maternal fetal medicine specialist, mm-hmm. as well as my regular OBGYN measuring my cervical and measuring baby pretty much every other week, just to give me reassurance. And then just for them to have the reassurance that this baby was on track and that mom was going to actually come home with the baby this time. So about 32 weeks, I went into, I wouldn't say labor because it wasn't labor. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was happening was my placenta completely detached from my uterus and my son, basically his full oxygen supply, his food supply was cut off Mm. and we don't know how long it was cut off, but what it caused was for me to bleed internally. So basically I was bleeding internally for some unknown period of time. And by the time we got to the hospital, it was a true emergency C-section. You know, a lot of people say they had an emergency C-section, they really want an emergency. No, this was an emergency C-section where they literally I got to the hospital at quarter to two. My son was born at 2.17. So they literally cut me open. Um, Very, very, very much so an emergency C-section. So they worked on me for about six or seven hours trying to contain the blood. Mm -hmm. And then they came out and told my husband that he had to sign to give me a partial hysterectomy in order for them to save my life. Wow. So he 
sign his sign, you know, signed my life away for him. You know, he was just like, whatever you need to do to save my wife's life, you know, I don't care. Just save her life. So they went back in after they, because they couldn't contain the blood because I was bleeding so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to get several blood transfusions. Once they completed, they actually did not complete the full hysterectomy at once because I had lost so much blood. They did partial part of it and then kind of kept me open because um, I was, it, it, my entire inside organs were very much so, um, br- not bruised, but just had a lot of swelling. They went on ahead and did that. Um, I was intubated and in trauma ICU for a few days before I actually woke up. It was so bad to the point where my family got called in because they didn't think I was going to make it just because of how much blood I lost. And my blood platelet count was so low. So after a lot of the blood transfusions, I started to come, my blood platelet started to come back up. I actually started to wake up out of the, I guess, semi-coma that I was in. And nurses saw that my oxygen levels were coming back up and they were able to take the tube out of me so that I could actually talk on my own. And the first thing I said was, where's my baby? Absolutely. In ICU, the the ICU nurse was able to put me into a wheelchair and roll me down to the NICU. And I was able to hold my son for the first time. We, as a result of him being without oxygen, he has cerebral palsy. So most kids, most babies and moms who are born with a placenta abruption um, do not live. Um, I'm a far, I'm a part of a percentage of people, a very small percentage of people who've actually had babies who have lived after a percent of abruption. And granted, you know, my son does have a physical disability. He's still the joy of my life because we fought for him for mm-hmm. so long. Mm-hmm. And it is, this. it's how I am infertile right now. You know, I don't have a womb to physically carry a child. I still have my ovaries. I still have my fallopian tubes, um, but I don't have a uterus attached there. So it makes me infertile to physically carry another child, but I do. And I have explored the possibility of having a surrogate. um, And we Mm -hmm. also have looked into adoption. So that is a little bit about my story, kind of in a nutshell, in a short form version. But um, I feel like God has truly called me to this work because I have experienced a little bit of a little bit of losses on a couple different sides. And then right now I'm going through my own infertility journey. Um, So it's definitely relatable with a lot of women who've gone through that experience. Wow. Wow. It's like one thing reading your journey online through your website and then to hear you actually speak it. Ooh, you guys have been through it all. And I definitely from watching you on Instagram, listening to your podcast and just keeping up with the work that you do. You know, unfortunately, you had to lose so much to get to this type of purpose that you're in, in 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 the industry that you're in with helping women through bereavement and especially black women, women of color who have the highest mortality rate. So it's amazing that you are still able to give so much after you have lost so much. And I know that it's only because of the creator that you can do what you do and keep your sanity at the same time and take care of your little one. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's amazing. That's amazing. Oh my goodness. 
Hmm. I'm sorry. I had to just take a moment, Erica, because this no, is, take your moment. Girl. Take your moment. I understand. Trust me. Ooh. Mm. And so, how was how? What's your son's name? I like to address the babies by the name. Oh yeah, my son's name is Maxwell. We call him Max. Okay, Maxwell. <laughs> and how long was he in the NICU? was in the NICU for almost 30 days, 29 days. He was in the NICU before he came home. And obviously, um, since he was born at 32 weeks premature, we've had a lot of respiratory issues Mm -hmm. um, due to his underdeveloped lungs. And then obviously a lot of other concerns, medical issues, just because of um, his disability that he has. Right, right, right. Well, that's even amazing that he wasn't in the hospital longer than he was. Because there's babies um, who were born, you know, right around the same time frame, and they spend like their first three, four months in the hospital. So that's a blessing and that's a miracle in itself, even just him being alive as well, too. So, what is it like, if I can ask, what is it like uh, being his mother with the, 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 um, his compromised immune system? And in the time that we are in now with the the COVID epidemic and how are you guys handling it and what precautions you guys taking? Oh, absolutely. So one thing that we are doing and we have done, so since we know, and most babies who have compromised immune systems or are medically fragile or, or babies who are born early who have premature lungs we know that they're more susceptible to like RSV and the flu mm-hmm. and asthma and just other respiratory issues in general. Um, but with the new virus that is rampant across the world right now, my goal is to continue to keep him in a bubble. So really the first three years of his life, we were told that if his breathing did not improve, we would have to give him a tracheotomy. And a, trach- a tracheotomy is basically where they actually insert a tube in your trachea to help you breathe. And we pushed it off and pushed it off, not because we didn't think our son needed it, because it was just an invasive surgery. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't at the point where he was having, he was getting intubated all the time and he was having a lot of severe pneumonias or anything like that. So we decided to just keep him in a bubble during the winter months. So mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. Um, we are going to do the same thing for this COVID-19, this yeah. coronavirus, is just to keep him limited from people Monday through Friday. And now since the schools are out and in the state of Virginia, they're out until the end of the year. So essentially, he's not going to be going back to school until September or maybe summer school, depending on how this all plays out. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. W- w- he's just going to be at home in his bubble and we're not going to allow family to come over. I'll just FaceTime family and say, hey, we're FaceTiming you all. Yeah. Just so there, he's not susceptible of uh, tracking anything else, um, especially this virus that's going around. Because I think that it it would be it would have more effect and he would be more susceptible to get it just because his lungs were just not truly developed from birth. Yeah, yeah, wow, it's it's serious, it's serious business out here. We don't know how long it's going to be until everything is like contained and and under um, total control. If I mean, if we can even use the word control, because who has control right now? You know. So, oh my gosh, that's that's yeah, that's a lot. And for your Sisters in Laws organization and digital media platform. I want to get into when did that all start for you? 
after the birth of your son or was it before the birth of your son? No. So this actually all started um, almost three years ago. And I went on vacation to Cuba in May, 2017. And at that time I had already been considering starting a podcast. I have been listening to podcasts Mm -hmm. for a long time. I had a long commute to work when my son was first born in 2014 and in 2015 and 2016, that is literally all I listened to was podcasts. So I knew that I wanted to start a podcast. I just didn't know what it was going to be about until I had some time with God on the beach in Cuba. And Mm -hmm. I was like, this is really what I'm passionate about. This is really what I've been doing this already. So it's kind of like, well, why don't I share these stories from a Black women's perspective and really share our stories and our journey from from our perspective. At that time in 2017, the numbers weren't as astonishing as they are now, right? We've had more reports on Black women and Black infants who have died that have come out. But at that time, it was it was about two to three times Black women and Black infants are dying compared to the white counterparts. And I wanted to be able to just show kind of the background story to those numbers, um, because there's always a storytelling element in the statistics. And I wanted to be able to share that. But I also just really wanted to connect with people who were going through this and give them a place to go as I know I need it when I went, when, as I'm going through my own personal infertility journey, but also at during my grief journey, because, um, everybody grieves differently. And sometimes it's good to hear how people are not necessarily overcoming their grief, but really going through their grief Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis. And then what tools they're, they're using and resources they're using to continue to go day after day put their foot one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. in order um, just to live life with the weight on their shoulders of losing a baby or battling infertility. So I wanted to give us a space to do that. So that's kind of how it was born. So um, our, the trip was in May and then I started the podcast in August. So I was really okay. fast on it. Yeah. I was like, Oh yeah, we're going to get this done. So, um, so it's been since August. So August 2017 until now, we're recording this episode in 2020. I have been, it's a weekly podcast. So I've been going every week since then. And I don't think I've missed any weeks. So wow. some, some, sometimes I think that I should stop and take a pause. But then I'm just like, you know, our stories need to be told. So I want to continue to tell our stories. So that's how I started the podcast. And then as time evolved, the podcast became a community on Facebook, and that mm-hmm. has grown leaps and bounds. And it's definitely a great community for people who listen to the podcast, but also people who want a place to go just to share their story and just to get feedback on the things that they're going through. One thing that I realized just going through this is that um, Black women need a space to go that feels like our own, that feels like a safe space, and that a lot of our friends and family members have not been through this, so they may not understand. But being able to be in community, even if it's online, to actually share the stories, open up, and be vulnerable in that space gives people a sense of hope, a sense of 
uh, belonging mm-hmm. and a sense of a sisterhood that they didn't even know that they needed or or wanted to be a part of. Mm-hmm. So that is what the Sisters in Loss has evolved into. And now I do grief coaching. And then also I also um, now have started a doula um, training portion of, of Sisters in Loss where I'm going to start training people to be a birth and bereavement doula, which is something that I got certified in in 2018. So I'm excited about that. Oh, wow. That is awesome. That is amazing. Amazing. You got a lot on your plate, girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but I mean, you know, when you're passionate about something, though, everything seems to just always work out anyway. That's yeah. amazing, amazing. So you've been in the game for a long time. You're like a veteran in the niche of infertility and loss because I, I noticed that a lot of the other similar niche podcasts out there haven't been out. Yours is one of the longest I've seen, especially um, made by and founded by a woman of color, a black woman in America. So that's that's amazing that you've had such longevity and people continuously are connecting with you and finding healing. And I think it's so important, so important for women to have somewhere to go. And so they don't silently suffer through this thing. And I put all of your information in the show notes for everyone to listen to your podcast, learn about your services, as well as a Facebook group if they want to connect there with the community and 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 find some sisters to connect with as well. And I appreciate you coming on in the midst of all this craziness and telling me about your journey and actually getting to hear it from your voice. It's um it's powerful, powerful powerful journey you've been on and turning all that pain into purpose. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.